0: Welcome to Are You Not Entertained and to the final in a series of specials we have done in conjunction with our friends at SRI. Now, usually at the start of every month, we bring you the captain's table. But the Reeve Gauche is in a dry dock until the end of the year, having much-needed hull restoration and giving the crew some much-needed shore leave. So this month, we are bringing you a bit of a sports tech special. With the news that Facebook has rebranded to Meta, and now the whole world scrabbling around trying to find out a plausible definition of what the Metaverse actually is, we thought bringing in a few folk to help explain where the sports world might be heading will be fun. Because to me, understanding what the Metaverse actually is is a little bit like when I tried to read Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time. I pretended I'd understood it, when in fact I'd only got as far as the introduction, and then got hopelessly lost and bewildered in the detail. So, to help write the ship, I've enlisted the support of three folk who can and will shed some light and some sense, I hope, on all of this, on a show I'm calling Tomorrow's World Today, with sincere apologies to Judith Han, Maggie Philbin and Alan Partridge, my first tech Sherper you should know well already it's roger mitchell and the founder of this podcast the sports industry's finest agitator in my opinion a corporate finance guy in both the music and the sports industry and now an advisor on early stage tech businesses in sport as you might know roger is passionate about football and is a walking encyclopedia on the sport he also loves golf and can be seen thrashing madly around the fringes of the green at lake como golf club hard hats required in that part of lombardy i suspect and talking golf our next guest is ed crossman ed is the co-founder of a tech business that i suspect you won't have heard about yet but you will soon clipped is a platform that I believe is going to do for golf what Strava did for cycling and running. A platform that aggregates all the shot and the swing and the wearable data that golfers use and pulls it into one place, onto an app. Ed is an avid golfer, as you'd expect, and he played at Oxford University, meaning he's terribly bright. He was also a private equity guy initially, which is kind of interesting, given what we talk about finance and sport. But he gave up golf for a decade to do mad triathlons. He tells me he competed in the Norseman, which is apparently the world's hardest Ironman, and cycling. And during that time, saw how Strava transformed those sports. And so when he got back into golf, he saw that there was perhaps an opportunity to do something similar. And... As you'd expect, he's a sort of cycling triathlon type sort of nut and a golfer. And I cannot wait to talk to him a little bit more about all of this this stuff. And my final guest is the quite excellent Mark Moreau, who is the MD for Europe and Asia for SRI. He's done, gosh, 20 years in headhunting, about eight in sports entertainment, eight then in consumer technology, And then he brought it all together um, over the last four years with SRI. And this is perhaps the most fascinating because what he specialises in placing people is encompassing the rapidly evolving worlds and, and platforms, gaming and technology as they relate to the sports, media and entertainment world. Mark is a Forest fan, Nottingham Forest, and an England rugby man. So if we don't go well on tech, I'm quite keen to ask him about whether he thinks Marcus Smith should be handed the number 10 shirt for England. So that's your lineup. Let's get him on the show. Gentlemen, welcome to Tomorrow's World Today, the natty title I just came up with. Um, (laughs) The purpose of this podcast, um, or this week's podcast, is we've got about 55 minutes, and one of the things we've sort of been talking about a lot, we do on our You're Not Entertained, is about how the sports world's changing and the, the sort of tectonic plates are moving. I just want to dive in a little bit with all of you about what is the new commercial landscape of sport? Why is it exciting? How is tech perhaps affecting the change? And what are, when we talk about tectonic plates moving, what does that mean? So we we get asked all the time, because we are opinionated as a podcast about the things that are changing. We're trying to sort of manhandle the industry to move into the 21st century. But I think sometimes we need to go back a step and and kind of figure it all out, which is why we've invited the three of you on, um, because you should have a really interesting perspective. Roger is very much a commentator of the industry, but as a corporate finance guy. Ed you've made a very bold decision which is to put your money where your mouth is and and go for a a, a big aggregating platform in a, in a sport that you love and 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 Mark probably most interestingly of all in, in a funny kind of way is you're responsible for seeing who the best of the best are to try and put the right people in the right jobs etc and what are the changes so That's kind of the chat for the next 53 minutes. Um, And I'm going to start Mm -hmm. with you, Rog, because it's always nice to get you on the other side of the microphone rather than you interviewing people. And I know that recently on Goal and Goal and the Groundsman, you you talked about sport moving from a B2B to a a, a D2C model. What do you mean by that? What what does that mean for simple folk like like me?
1: Um, Well, like you say, we have to maybe take a step back and just examine the last... um, 30 years uh, where uh, the sports industry, and and we need to use that word. No, a lot of of people don't like to use that, but I think we need to. Uh, The sports industry worked in a very simple way. You got a broadcast contract in the main, if you were in the UK, that would be from Sky. That gave you a lot of your money. You got um, a title sponsorship or some kind of like rafter sponsorships, again, at the level of the organiser of the event, which was UEFA, FIFA, the Premiership, Scottish Premier League, European Tour, everything like that. And the attitude, for right or for wrong, because there is a, an argument that says that sport is about the field and, and the business should be done quickly and get it out of the way. The attitude was give me your minimum guarantee, MG, we'll probably hear that a lot in this podcast, give me your minimum guarantee, and frankly, get out of my way. So sport put the marketing of itself in the hands of the people who put down that minimum guarantee, either a broadcaster or a sponsor. You know this world very well, Giles, and you know how how that that works. So if you were working in, in a sports organization, and I'm talking mainly about the organisers of the events, I'll come on to clubs in a a brief second. If you were doing that, you put out a tender, which often was very legalistic for anti-competitive reasons, or you sold your rights to an agency and let them get on with it, uh, and you waited for bids. So the people that were involved in sport, in the main, uh, were rules, regulation and relationships people. Well, actually, guys, more 99.999%. Rules, regulations, and relationships, people. Club's slightly different because you you weren't really selling the rights to your own games. I think that's important for people to understand. You were selling your match day. You were selling a little bit of your direct sponsorship. You were selling your merch. And, you know, people listening to this, they won't get annoyed because they know I'm right. Their CRM and, and what they knew about their fans was really really poor and and, and still is in many cases really really poor and and i'm talking about the big clubs as well you know i I have a lot of direct relationships with people at big clubs in italy here and the uk as well and they'll admit it they'll admit that you know it's not been joined up crm they don't really know anything about their fans every guest that we've had on it are you not entertained has said we know really nothing about the sports fan So that's where we have come from. But now it's different. It's very, very different. And um, I would say the first thing you need to, to do to answer your question is to work out where you sit as a rights holder. If you sit at the premium, premium end of rights holders, you are frankly an arms dealer in the streaming wars. You are able to go around in very much the old way and um, ask for bids, and because everybody, like 30 years ago, needs sport to, 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 to get penetration of a new platform, and in this case um, streaming platforms, they will bid for you and they will bid against each other. will be an auction and you will do extremely well. If you're not premium rights, which most people aren't, this is where the world changes You may not get a bid from Sky or whoever it is, BT Sport or whoever. You are in the game of a community business. And a community business is completely different. It is direct to consumer. It is about finding that community, building the community, and then monetizing it. To do that, you have to understand how to strategically market. You have to understand how to do that efficiently where your cost of customer acquisition is less than the value you get from that new customer over his lifetime, lifetime value. You need to understand how to increase how much you get from each customer in that lifetime value. You know that famous phrase, ARPU, average revenue per user. You need to understand churn because it's one thing to get them, it's another thing to keep them. And you have to really have your business like so many other businesses in this kind of like environment of direct-to-consumer. You need to have that understanding. And, you know, that's what I think the challenge is for sport, that I do not believe there's an awful lot of people currently operating in sport that understand that they are in the community business and the community businesses have just described, Giles.
0: And, Roger, that's very interesting, and it's a nice segue into to Ed because we talk about sport, you're talking about sport as a community business, and you're talking about platforms. Ed, I mean, you'll have to explain to, to the listeners, because no one knows who Clip is, because it's a, a company that is about to, 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 to rear its head, I suspect, knowing the plans you've got. But this is the vision you've had of making money commercializing the ultimate community, which in your case is the golf community. Tell us a
2: bit more. Yeah, I think um, where Roger comes from is to think of uh, sports lovers as fans, but they're not just fans, they're often participants. I mean, the reason you fall in love with a sport is normally because you started playing it. And so for us, it's kind of thinking about, well, as a as a participant of that sport, kind of what are you doing? And so for us within golf, you know, one of the great things about golf is both people play it and love it and kind of consume it as fans. So it we with thinking about all the places that people actually gather data, um, but maybe on the lesson tee or on the course or in, in a simulator so we bring all that data together um to allow people to really understand what's what's going on with their games but kind of that idea of of the aggregation of, of the participant is taken from places like Strava, Swift, World AI and I'll kind of refer back to these guys a bit kind of as, a, as the conversation goes on but we think it's really important to think of uh, think of the sports lover yeah just not as a not just as a fan but also as a participant.
0: And, and Ed that's To me, that's fascinating. And that as someone who's been quite involved in the game of golf, not not fortunately on the golf course very much, because there's people who listen to this podcast, so I'm crap. But in terms of investment, Roger's old um, thesis of, of the landscape is absolutely right, is that you'd rely on television deals and big sponsors to come in. But it seems to me where you and Strava and others Zwift are doing is saying, well, there is a big fan base out there. In golf's case, it's global. And that is monetizable by... Collecting um, data coming in and creating that community. What was your um sort of epiphany? What was the sort of the moment, your eureka moment, I guess?
2: Yeah, I suppose Strava they the really pioneers. They're the people who, you know, a decade ago really realized the power of the participant within sport. And they, I would argue now, they're the most powerful business within cycling and running. If they know what's going on anywhere around the world at any one time, no one else has a clue. You talked to any of the rights holders as Roger alluded to, like they've got no idea what any of the actual kind of participants of the sport are are really doing, where they're playing, how they're doing it, who they're doing it with Strava knows all those things. For me, I actually, um, I played golf pretty seriously up, up through university and then I gave up the sport for a decade. I went and did kind of the the classic person who works in finance, did iron men and things like that, and kind of went away from golf, but then came back to golf a few years ago and saw like hadn't really changed. I thought on the surface. But underneath actually kind of a world of connected devices of, of capturing some of the data has really happened you've seen the proliferation of smart range the top golf top tracer sort of sim golf growing hugely and on course data capture growingly be you me using my garmin watch or you're one of the pros with basically someone following you around and gathering the data for you suddenly every activity within golf is being captured and so sort of bringing that all together is really powerful and um yeah so sort of following on to People like Zwift have really shown how to monetize that. They've they've provided the tools that those who really love cycling really want to use, and they've galvanized that whole community of bringing people together on on the indoor cycling platform, which is just really galvanized a lot of people into training throughout the year, which would have been something people never have done a few years ago. They've changed how people play their sport, but also they've brought together kind of the elite and the amateur. Which I think is a really interesting, powerful thing. Strava have done the same. If I go and cycle up Mont too, I can compare my times to the best to the best in the world. Now it's pretty humbling because, <laughs> let's face it, I'm nowhere near as good as them. But it really brings it to life, kind of that connection between the elite and, and the rest of us who, who are you know, they're our heroes. We are fans as well as participants in the sport. And bringing that that activity together is really interesting. So when Roger talks about those sports who don't necessarily have those sort of superstar names of Sky or Netflix, whoever they're trying to sell their rights to that ability for those sports rights holders to connect and bring together the participant that for me is going to unlock unbelievable value because you don't need a gazillion fans to make real money you need people who really love the sport and who really understand it and they're the ones who are willing to spend money and um, that's you know that's that's the opportunity that i think we're talking about and, and this
0: is fascinating to me. So Roger has given the kind of, has laid out the, 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 the um, if you like, the, the vision of where this, the, the financial landscape of sport is moving to. Ed, you're living it. You're, you're building a platform in order to try and make that work and to try and um, monetize what is a colossal and very valuable audience, which is the golf audience. And Mark, You've um, worked in the, in there sort of putting the right people in the right jobs and working with rights holders in sport and music and entertainment for, I think, about 20 years. And I know you've done a lot of consumer tech as well. With, I know it's SRI and, and, and it's it's wonderful to see the businesses like yours moving with the times. Are you seeing the kind of CVs, the resumes, the people who used to be um, looking for a inverted commas job in sport with wonderful credentials which might have been in PR or hospitality or media or whatever are are those changing now are the criteria changing for what what rights holder do they know that things have changed are they asking for new talent what's it like on the sharp end
3: so many questions Giles so many questions um it's fascinating I've worked in Sport for the first ten years of my recruitment career, and and then moved out and, and worked with brands who looked at sport with green eyes. They they, they couldn't understand the, the fan mentality that these small rights holders were getting. That people would dress up in purple suits and scream and shout on a Saturday afternoon, and then would put their suit on and go to work uh, on a Monday. And what sport's gone through and is continually going through is is a, a recognition, I think, of um, the fact they can no longer fall back on their, their laurels, which they have done for many, many years, that, you know, irrespective, we'll always be fine, we'll always have our fan base, they'll always come and see and they'll always spend. And and the problem with that is that the experience that the other entities are providing now in our in our leisure time and our downtime have been so much further enhanced with technology that the choice is so great, and the, the 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 calendar time that we have available is so short that we're starting to make decisions based on the the user experience. So, to um, to Ed's point earlier, you know, I think we're all budding Augusta golfers, and all of us have probably got a, a Garmin tucked away somewhere to you know help us as best we can get around at eighteen holes, and, and enjoy it, and then look back. And if we take that concept into everything that we're doing, that appetite, that insatiable appetite for knowledge and data, real time is is ever present. You know, whether it's Bryson's drive on the par five to within you know twenty feet, or whether it's Butler's one hundred and two meter six in in the twenty twenty, whatever it may be, we want we want that information, we want that data. So what does that what does that mean to sports rights holders well? They've got to start fishing in talent pools that they're not necessarily comfortable fishing in, and and what's been fascinating is those can be finance, utilities, FMCG, retail, airline, telco, to name but a few. And what I, what I found certainly in the last five to seven years is there are people in those businesses, in those industries, who would love to work in sport. You know, if they could take their knowledge around data, around CRM, around insight, and apply that in their passion point, that's dream ticket. But they never thought those roles would ever be available. And I think probably the best example I can offer of that in in recent times, He won't mind me quoting him, but I was doing a project for Tony Singh down at the ECB, and he asked me to, to find him a data and digital director, and he explicitly said, and I want them to have nothing to do with cricket. I want them to have everything to do with data, customer insight knowledge, being able to to talk with the right tone at the right time by the right channel to create that community to what Ed and, and Roger have been saying. And our final long list had not a single sports data and digital person in it, but I had pharmaceutical, I had telco, I had insurance, had financial services, all of which thought this was dream ticket. This was this was the opportunity to combine there two. So yes, in answer, There are now opportunities that people never thought would exist, and those sporting rights holders are scratching their heads as to, well, where do I go? Who do I talk to? What do I build around it to ensure success? And 10% of them make the leap of faith, the 90% get to the edge and then go, actually, you know I'll go back to where
0: I was before because that's where I'm so, so, so Mark let me ask you is this the great myth then of sport and I think I know Roger's probably about to smirk which means I think I might be on the right track here which is do you think there's been a myth in the sports industry the kind of Maybe even the boys club, which is if you're in, you're in and you know the right people, little nudge, little wink here, you can move the job along. But if you haven't worked in the sports sector, you probably could never really make it outsider. Do you think is that the needle that is shifting, which is to say sport is business? People have specialisms within business, whether it be tech, whether it be digital, whether it be finance, whatever it may be. And therefore, if sport is one of the great global industries, it needs to sort of jettison that sense of "do you wear the right blazer," sort of the Etonian um, old school tie, and move to just find and be a meritocratic industry. And as it is, it happening.
3: It, it is one hundred and fifty percent happening. And I think they, the school or the tie or the um, uh, a cryptic handshake is is gone, is absolutely gone and I know we've waxed lyrical uh, around the acceleration of technology through COVID but you know the propensity for people to engage digitally to make payments through mobile for significant purchases you know, you've know only got to look at the battle between kazoo and cinch at the moment You know making a 15, 20 25k purchase without actually seeing the product through my mobile would never have happened before lockdown and that's why the you know, boom market right there. But look, there's a number of examples in the last couple of years. Catherine Newman going into Man United from the FT. Um, Matt McKee joining the IOC from his tenure at Electronic Arts. And before that, I think he was at Glaxo. Um, more recently, Andrew Hayworth shif- shifting over from BT into, into the Premier League. Mark Darbin, even from 2012, from his days at Diageo. You know, these, are, these are genuine, credible business people who are applying their trade incredibly successfully in, in, the, in the area and industry that you and I and the guys on the, on the podcast love every day. And so they're beginning to make a difference. They are shifting the needle. They are bringing out skill set and propensity to think about things differently. I think probably the best exponent of that is a guy called um, Michael Sutherland, who's the transformation officer at Real Madrid. And I sat with him for an hour and and he just said, look, I'm trying to invert the pyramid. You know, it's always been that the game was at the point and and the brand was at the base. And he's just flipped it upside down. Get the brand right, get the community right, get the engagement right, get the channels right. doesn't actually matter what happens on the pitch because you'll have that community and they'll be behind you whatever goes on. And that's the behavior that's been going on for eons in other industries. And that's the behavior that we need to now start seeing in the leagues teams rights
0: holders okay so roger let me bring you in here you are very involved and and advise a number of um early stage companies not even startups very often um who want to be in the sports and entertainment industry and they've got good ideas etc etc and you can see a way forward with them but there has to be or there has been perhaps a discrepancy between those tech firms they're um, ability to understand what the potential customer might want versus what the c- customer might understand they need and there seems to be th- a bit of a gap between people with a brilliant idea and those who are charged with um buying the great idea are you seeing change i mean a year in 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 modern um the modern sports industry is it goes in a f- uh, blink of an eye are you seeing this change that, that, that Mark's talking about, that that they are beginning to get it with some of the, the, the companies that you've um, been involved with and advised?
1: That's a great question. Um, I, I would say, sadly, not really. Everybody who's listening to this, who's in the game of selling some kind of like SaaS technology, that could be on the marketing, the content side, or it could be on the performance side. Selling that into sports organizations knows how frustrating that is. You have got an extremely long sales cycle. You have got, um, these organizations work in silos. They, they don't speak to each other. The, the, the killer is this one. They will spend uh, 150 grand a week for a striker that will spend most of his time on the bench or the stand in the blink of an eye, but will struggle to pay 30K SaaS fee a year for technology that could let them understand better their uh, uh, audience and their fan base. That's the reality of it, however you want to tell it. I, I can say that from direct experience. The the, 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 ch- the challenge going forward is to see how that evolves in a moment when, you know, if you go back to uh, average revenue per user, you know, you've got all these new revenue streams coming in that frankly sport doesn't understand you know, if you, if you look at uh, not just NFTs, but if you look at uh, digital goods and how, how the kids uh, buy th- these kind of virtual props and, and everything like that, if you look at, you know, what Fanatics is doing with e-commerce, um, if you look at, uh, uh, obviously, the betting companies, th- these are all things that you say, once you've got the customer fan, how do I, I upsell them? So the opportunities for sport are huge, but in my experience, It's a little bit, you know that famous little vignette where you see um, these guys trying to sell the machine gun to the medieval king who's holding up his hand saying, can't you see I'm so busy, don't bother me now, where they've got the solution to all his problems but he can't dedicate any time to them. That's where sport is. Um, And, of course, that takes you into gels. A a, a big thing is, um, are the incumbents uh, that are obviously... Obviously, um, you know, very much in in, in the, the DNA of what I said before, rules, regs, tradition, amateurism. Even are they ever going to be able to dance to a new tune, or are the challenger leagues that are born like the way Clipped is, which very much is, you know, it's a Strava mindset, it it, it it's a it's a it's a Spotify mindset. It's a mindset of people that have got subscription businesses and know how to upsell. You know, uh, whether it's the FT or the New York Times or the Economist or, or as I say, you know, uh, the Athletic. Are they going to be able to understand that and get these people in here? Because you know, um, Ed's right. It doesn't need to be a big community. You know, th- this is the thing that I think people miss. You know, you can have a small sport with a small community, but if you're really good at strategic marketing and you're really good at your product market fit, you can still make a decent business out of that. And we've seen that gels with, you know, the triathlon people, Sam Renouf, uh, we've seen it with GP. The, the examples are all over the place. And, you know, to quote, you know, one of everybody's favourite films, Moneyball, you know, that scene at the end with John Henry, Whenever you go to a traditional sport and you want to change something, you know, quotes, you know, you're changing their uh, their livelihoods. They're changing what about what they believe about themselves, and they go crazy. You know, sport doesn't change. You know, the institutions of sport don't change. The names may change, but they don't change. So I think the change will come from the challenger leagues. I'm not an optimist on turning around an IOC or a FIFA.
0: Okay, so that's <laughs> that's interesting and I and I know why you think that. So let's just flip this a bit into an Ed's world because I think this is really fascinating for our listeners. I think this is really fascinating. So even if you're not a particularly advanced business person, you look at something like the total addressable market of a sport and you go that golf, maybe 60, 70 million people play. And I know, Ed, that the way that Clipto have looked at it you're looking at the valuable golfer. So that is a percentage of the golfer. So it's not the full 70 million. It's maybe what, 5, 10, 15 million, whatever it is and you know that they the high net worth you know stats will show that the golfer is a, a very high net worth um, relatively um, consumer so that's exciting you come from a private equity background you're also a golfer so you understand both the sport and you also understand how money is raised <laughs> for you and your co-founder peers how easy is it just give us shed some light how easy is it to go and raise money for what is probably on paper a very good idea and then actually to make that a reality that you can start to, to, to build a business. Give us a, a little sort of uh, soup of an idea of what, what that journey's been like in the
2: last four years. Well I can tell you I know why there are more of these businesses come out of the US than the UK. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think the attitude to risk and the understanding of the opportunity. I think the understanding of what an aggregator can do to a, to any industry is is really important of the uh, the opportunity to capture all the participants, whatever that might be, and kind of act and sit in the middle of all of that is is kind of like a one-time thing. You only really get one, you only get one aggregator. There's one Spotify, there's one Strava. I mean there's different people who work around their ecosystem. But that ch- chance to capture that is a one-time thing is what we're trying to do within Golf. But raising the money to, to do that is very difficult but I suppose it should be difficult because you're asking people to take a big risk because I said it's a one-time thing which basically means only one person is going to do it so if you're not the one who does it you're going to suffer so you know it's been um, a difficult thing to, to do and to achieve but as you start to get more momentum and more people look at what you're doing understanding it people move from being kind of wondering what's going on to being quite greedy about what the opportunity is And I think that touches back to what Roger was just talking about of kind of the blazers within sport at the moment. They're neither greedy enough nor scared enough of kind of the competitors at the moment, and I can suspect that that tipping point of them being greedy enough, competitive enough, is is going to happen. And I think as you start to see, I think for us, one of the things that was really helpful was that Strava had already been out there, although people kind of question their business model. But Swift was a really good equivalent for us of them their ability to capture hundreds of thousands of avid cyclists who happily hand over fifteen bucks a month to be kind of part of their part of their platform was a huge kind of gateway for us showing what's possible within within a sport and capturing that participant.
0: So have you found, I mean, golf is a traditional sport, certainly, and a lot of its heritage, a lot of what makes golf great is about upholding those traditions. How have you found the corridors of not necessarily power in terms of, the, well, just that there are many corridors of power, I guess, in golf, because it's quite a splintered sport. How have you found them? How How's it been to navigate?
2: Well, you had Keith on a couple of weeks ago, who was fantastic. And he's one of those guys in the corridors of power. He gets it. And <laughs> you know what, in golf, I think if we'd done this five years ago in golf and kind of talked to the, the great and the good, which we have done, it would have been more difficult. But I think the last few years, you've got some fantastic people who've come into into golf who really understand that are right at the top of the game. Um, you know, Mike won at the USGA, kind of Seth wore the PGA Tour, kind of all, all sorts, sorry, the PGA of America all sorts of people. Um, And they're really showing kind of what's possible. So this
0: is interesting for me, Mark. We've heard that some sports are neither scared or greedy enough. I think that's a cracking soundbite. So do you you concur with that, Mark? Do you think that the penny is dropping that if you're going to keep your beloved um, crest alive, I guess is one way of putting it, that you need to get either greedier and do you think uh, there hasn't been enough fear. And, and moreover, do you think that there's just a complacency that has sort of dominated sport for, for years and years? And it, is that what you kind of see? I
3: guess in, in my world, I'm fortunate to see things probably 12 to 18 months ahead of the rest of the world in in the, the trends that are coming. The The fear... Uh, or the hunger I, I love as a, as a soundbite, it's fantastic. Um, I think people are beginning to have sleepless nights. I think the fear is, is it was a long way off and now it's creeping up and now it's becoming all-consuming. And it's the fear of, of how to react and how to respond effectively because people, you know, people can take their headlines of, you know, we need to shift to a D2C strategy. Okay, great. What does that mean? What does that actually mean to our business? What does that mean in terms of our chart, our structure, our cost, our relationship, and so forth? So I definitely think the fear is there. The, the, the greediness, I think, will, um, if I look at other industries that I've serviced, if you look at banking, Giles, from your old world, you know, when I used to do some work in banking. I moved people from the green one to the blue one to the red one and, and moved them around and around. The infrastructure of what had been there for, for hundreds of years, of you know, we are banking, no one can touch us, we are, you know, unconquerable. There's a little bit of that in sport, right? There is a little bit of that in sport. And that fear of Zwift, GP Formula E, IPL, the 100, and, and the list goes on, taking our time, taking our eyeball, taking our engagement. Oh, and actually, look, they're doing it better and they're utilising technology to talk to me and engage with me and communicate with me Oh, it's actually a lot better than the club that I've grown up loving from when I was a boy. So the the fear and greediness is definitely coming. And when I sit with clients at the moment, I can you can see that they're concerned. You can see that, that, that they're questioning legacy and history and how we've done it. The key is what they then do. And so all, all that we're getting at the moment is, well, how are they doing it? How are they doing it? How are they doing it? from inside sector and outside sector, because if I could assimilate all that information and take the best bits and then create my strategy, then I won't just be comparable to my nearest competitor. I'll be ahead of them. And that's where everyone wants to try and get to. But there's that first mover of, of, I'm not going to go, I'm going to watch them first. And that's the space we're in right now. And I think as as the next generation come through and take those C-suite positions and take those board positions, their appetite to take the risk and be hungry and be fearful will be far greater than those that may well be sitting there going, do you know what? If I can eat this out another five years or so and then retire and I'm out the door, then that's all good for me and everything's rosy, right? That's the bit that we're going into. That's the phase that we're going into. And and technology is that catalyst, right? Technology is, is there to reduce friction, make my life far more far easier than it would be, you know, reduce time. Um, reduce my interaction with individuals if needs be. And that is the fear. That is the fear that a lot of the rights holders have that, well, that's not how our business works. And that's going to affect everyone in my business. And I'm not going to rip that all up just for the sake of a, a mobile app or a, a data strategy or a digital, you know. So this, this shift is, is you know, it's pent up and it's coming and it will come at a rate of knots. And, you know, I, I take your point, Roger, that you're not seeing it. But all the conversations that I'm having – you know, if I, if I take a, a chief commercial officer role three years ago, five years ago, I'd still have, you know, shirt front, arm sleeve, LED, name and rights, same sponsorship model that we've run for of hours of time. Now on a role for the next five years, that's almost forgotten. And they're almost swinging too far and going, well, what's my social media rate card? What's my content calendar? How am I monetizing that? And for me, it's about balance, right? You don't throw everything out immediately and switch because you know there's no need to it's those that find the right balance and, and, and combination of hitting all those channels monetizing all those assets of which they've got you know a wealth of in front of them that they're just not quite sure about how to get the best from them and that's the bit from a talent perspective we're in the epicenter of right now and you know for me it, it'll be fascinating when a sports rights holder comes to me and said i want a chief professor you know, that's a tech term, that's a platform, a marketplace. Chief product officer have been there for many, many years. Where am I going to get a chief product officer for a sports team or a league? Because that is going to be the end-to-end customer journey. That's going to incorporate brand, incorporate media rights, incorporate sponsorship, and listen to what the fans are saying. Stop selling me what you think I want to buy, start listening to what I want to buy, and then market that. And that's the bit we're at right now. And Roger, to your point, yes, it's not happening everywhere, but it is
1: happening that's all true and it's very well articulated but you know if you go to i think there's a fundamental misunderstanding about what a sports organization is uh, they still think they're in the business of putting on an event every weekend <laughs> they're not they're not uh, they're they're media companies they are community businesses and you know ed makes the point about american understanding this europe doesn't you know america understands the valuations of these kind of businesses it's on a per user basis uh, they talk about unit economics they talk about lifetime value being greater than cost of customer acquisition i think if i did a, a a straw poll of the biggest clubs in europe and asked them to to give me an essay on all this stuff i think they would struggle i think 9 out of 10 would struggle because it's a mindset change. This isn't let's add on digital, let's add on a, a, a little light app or a widget. It's It's a mindset change. Why is PIN interest valued at a per-user basis significantly more than Man United that boasts it's got 1.1 billion fans? It's because the capital markets know that Man United hasn't got the first clue about how to monetize them. Yep. You know, and like, the evidence is all around there. This is a state of mind thing. This isn't about skill set and, and matching, you know, the the little uh, criteria list. Do you understand that you're in the community ARPU business or not? And and most of them, I'm afraid, just don't. You know, like let me give you an example. I, I am, in the grand scheme of customers, a pretty juicy one, right? I've got good uh, disposable income. Uh, I'm pretty passionate about, let's take my club Celtic. I would be willing to spend, if they were able to uh, hit me with the right content through the right distribution mechanism, I'm going to be relatively easy to convince to spend. They know nothing about me. I mean, zero. They know nothing about me. I get nothing from them. And this, I'm afraid to say, is the, the state of most sports organizations. And they don't sell.
2: I think that's really interesting. So just say, like, you know, if I walk into a cycling shop, if the salesman can't upsell me, they're useless. I will probably spend 50% more than I was planning to as soon as I walk in. And that's true of all real sports lovers of about their passion, be that as a fan or as a participant. Like, they just, money goes out the window because you love this thing so much. Like, I'm exactly saying. same. Take and my money. Take my money. There's organizations who understand that, you know, like, the viewing experience of a lot of sports, actually, to be fair, especially in the US, um, you know, is, is often really poor because just the number of adverts you get, like, it's kind of the opportunity to go direct to the consumer there and say, what will you pay a month to, to watch this sport is is kind of limitless because to watch it and have a great experience to understand and kind of really feel live it and not kind of go back and go, well, oh, here's a replay of that shot or that moment. And that's a huge opportunity which sports is just sports just aren't taking advantage of, in, in my opinion. So let's take this th- this greed theme, because pe- people making money,
0: and that, if you don't, is fearful, right? Who do we think, Rod? you may have a view on it, you all may have a view on it, who's doing it well in terms of making that conversion to a D2C model that says, we can make a lot of money from our fans who are, bracket, passionate and can be upsold, to your point, Ed. Who, who can the industry learn from? Who is beginning to show the real uh, future for all platform businesses, for media businesses, which are sport? Rog? Yeah,
1: you don't want to hear this. It's the betting companies. They get it. Lifetime value is greater than cost of acquisition. Um, so if I spend a thousand um, and this gives me a lifetime value of that guy of two and a half thousand bingo, um, I'm now going to be able to ask somebody to give me a whole lot of marketing budget to go and get new customers. They're in that mindset. Strava, uh, all these kind of people are, are, are really good.
0: Are any you know, rights holders doing it? Are anybody, I, I, it I, I, I don't yeah, see anywhere. it because,
1: because they, 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 it's not always, always their fault, right? How can you really do this well when you're not in charge of selling your games you know, so um, Man United, the Premier League sells their games, UEFA sells their Champions League games. It's not that easy. If you look at um, these big ones, these big organisations, IOC, UEFA, FIFA, Premier League, NFL, they're, they're as I said, they, they are arms suppliers to the streaming war. What do you need? What is your skill set that you need if you're at a big league or a big federation? You need to keep the cats herded. It's as simple as that. It's, you know, you, 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 these people are competing with each other normally, So you have to be a diplomat, you have to um, be a master of compromise and horse trading, be um, probably two or three faced, so that when you speak to um, Burry, they they think you're credible, and when you speak to Man United, they think you're credible. That's a skill set that has got nothing to do with strategic marketing. It's what I called before the relationship side of it. That's what you need to do. And then you sell your rights to somebody and they get on with the rest of it. That's probably not gonna change an awful lot Because there's enough people ready to bid for these rights that there's not the imperative that the organisation changes. Where it will change is at the club level. I mean, you need to be asking yourself, why is Man United only valued at $3 You know, when you see uh, uh, user businesses, per-user businesses, that are, are, are valued at significantly more than that. So, you know, that's what the board of Man United should be asking itself. How do we bridge that gap? Because in theory, we've got 1.1 billion fans. Well, it's not shown in the valuation, mate. It's what Ed said before. If you don't get a bid from Sky or the TV people that you got for the last 30 years, you're going to need money. You're going to need money. And the only way you're going to get money is to be able to convince an investor that you will find your community, you will build it, and you'll monetize it. Any investor's going to say, "Show me the skill set that gives me confidence that you can do that." Um, got a guy that comes from Arsenal and he's great in spotting nah. that. You know, it's not going to work. You know, these investors are cold. They are not going to just go for the badges and the shields. They're going to say, "Show me an example that you have built a community business." And that's where most of the sports are going to find themselves in the next couple of years. And they don't know how to find this is where SRI comes in. They will be able to help them find these people.
0: And 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 my, my next question on that too, Mark, was we talk a lot about esports and it can be quite divisive whether it people think it's sport or not sport. We don't need to go down that route. But what we are knowing is that the kids are playing esports in huge numbers. Mark, I imagine uh, your business. I'm sure SRI are involved with working with esports franchises and helping them grow and uh, find sponsors and investors and all and all the rest of it. Given that esports is relatively new um, and is certainly disrupting um, the, the sports audience, how are they faring? How do you see the quality in 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 those organisations versus, say, one of the big football football clubs or a, a federation? Yeah,
3: I mean esports is fascinating landscape. Clearly, there's lots of the right ingredients um, to be incredibly successful. I'm just not sure anyone's putting the ingredients in in the right amount or the right order at the moment. Those that are winning are the publishers, clearly. Um, without them, there is no team, there is no league, there is no tournament, there is no competition. And so, you know, to go back to your original question, who's who's doing it well, who's winning? I think you can't go much further than, than the, the big games publishers that control, you know, they're the puppet string holders. I think similar consumer tech businesses to follow on from Roger's points, Airbnb, Uber, Just Eat, the big gaming betting companies, Gusto more recently, the subscription businesses who are talking constantly
1: well to, to, well to you
3: and me all the time, just in our conscience. Oh, look, another incentive, another discount. Oh, I see you traveled there. I see you bought this. I see it in it. And they, all of a sudden, they're just part of my life. and. So I'm not, I'm a, I'm a, I have an affinity, the strongest affinity, because they've been talking to me. And that's where our teams and clubs don't do it. They concentrate on the 80 minutes or 90 minutes or match every fortnight. And that, that ridiculously small window of that's when we're going to talk. Well, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Clearly, you know, it's every bit of the time outside of that, that we need to be having a conversation. And, you know, again, Roger's comments made, made me smile he's right in that a lot of the clients I'll sit with have ambition to hire someone from an Uber or an Airbnb or a Google or a YouTube, but then they get cold feet and they're probably right to get cold feet because actually they'll get organ rejection relatively quickly from a forward thinking, you know, monolithic consumer tech business who is used to operating in an organizational structure where the mindset is already there. Putting someone into a, antiquated federation or governing body with a you know harvard mba and you know three years at apple three years at facebook three years amazon it's probably doom failure unless the mindset shift is total from the investors from the board from the chief exec
1: this is is bang on
3: this is this to get to and that is what is rare that that you know overarching shift by all those that need to shift is the rare bit i think that the conversations that are being had definitely you know we know we need to do this but when and how and who and so forth okay well we'll do another normal cco or cdo or cto hire that we used to and then we'll revisit and but if we can get if we can get you know this this it is seismic in some instances, and I was trying to think of a sporting rights holder that's done it successfully, which is probably indicative of the fact that they're not doing it
2: particularly well. Yeah, we can't.
3: Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> yeah, well, 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 well.
2: there is there is Go one. On. I've got one. Have done it within cycling. Uh, Zwift and UCI have got a uh, eSports Swift World Championship coming up. It'll be live on YouTube. Yeah. They've really embraced that. You know, each time that they've got the World Championships they, you know, Zwift produced one of the courses. You can race and compare your time to the pros, etc. And I think those guys have really got it. It's still fairly small. It's, it's not massive, but there are people who are getting it. And it's so engaging to do the same course as the pros. It's, again, what I said at the beginning. It's, You're right. bringing the, it's bringing the participant and the fan together with their heroes. It's so enlivening. It's so exciting. If you can do that, it's just gold dust, absolute what, gold dust. And what, what's
3: amazing about that, um, I've done some work, Zwift and met with Eric uh, a number of occasions and Zwift and was born out of him training in a basement going there must be better ways of me training on my you know turbo trainer in the dark on a February uh, uh, evening and so you know he's a, he's a technologist from I think it's JP Morgan back in the day and he just put his head to it with a couple of his old colleagues and then they created this small community and then they built it out and built it out and this has got something and yeah absolutely. You know, if you're, if I can envision myself on you know my fixed bike at home going down the Champs Elysees the Tour de France with the actual races at the actual time with my avatar, oh well, yeah, where do I sign? Right. Same with your your principle with your your business.
0: Well, Ed, I was going to ask you about. I was going to ask you about your DJs business. Just one, one second. Ed, I was going to ask you about your business. Roger is, uh, is well known in Italy as, as one of the upcoming golfers and, and obviously class. he's as world class <laughs> and Scottish. Tell us a little bit, and I'm actually asked the question a bit more seriously than it sounds, is with what you're doing at Clipped, and it comes back to similar to Zwift and this whole sense of participation and people coming together, how can you make a hacker like Roger better? What is it that you're doing? Genuine question that by using and aggregating the data that he may have of wearables or other things that he's got, what is it that is going to make the golfer have a better experience by looking at all that aggregated data? For someone like Rod, who does play, I think, once or twice a week and is having had a little layoff from the game is genuinely really trying to get back into it.
2: So it's the data is useful, but the interpretation of the data. It's about the simplification of it and the bringing it to life of understanding this is really who you are as a golfer. So you can have two people who play off a five handicap. They're good golfers, but they could be completely and utterly different golfers when you watch them play of how they get around a golf course. And that's bringing that to life and highlighting where you're good and where you're bad is really, really powerful. But then we can't tell you how to swing a golf club. It's for that to then kind of you to work with a coach to say, right, these are the areas how you're going to swing a golf club, you're going to get better. But really then kind of the gamification of practice is so important. It's that opportunity to really understand, like, you know, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to make it fun and doing it. I'm going to practice my five foot putting because I'm going to score X on, on the, on the, on the game while I'm doing it. You know, when I'm sat on the sofa, you know, I'm going to get off, get off my ass and do some putting practice at home. Or it's when I go down to the driving range, you know, you're at a top golf center and rather than just playing their game, what about if we produced a game specifically for you, for the skill you need to train at? That's what brings everything to life and is really powerful. And so for us, it's can we do that? Really understand who you are and then work out how you're how you're going to get better. That's what the the really powerful kind of magic of Clip does.
0: And do you see other sports where um, this kind of participation we've talked about, Zwift, we've talked about... Um, Strava and so on and, and now what, with what Klept is trying to do in golf are there other sports that are doing this or are there still opportunities can you move into other sports
2: yeah I, I think the ones who are doing it well are more kind of the um the kind of the endurance sports I think wild AI I mentioned right at the beginning um that is an aggregator of, of kind of performance data for women about really understanding for women kind of you know women's and men's bodies are very different of understanding for women kind of what training they should be doing to understand about kind of how they how they're going to improve so I think people who can really tap into that opportunity that people want to get better, you know, as a golfer, you could be eight or 18, you just want to get better. You could be as a, as an athlete, you want to be fitter. You want to be able to go fast. You want to do better in that race. You want to be healthier. I think people who can tap into that um, and help people get better at something they're going to do. I think the first wave of aggregation within sport which kind of Strava really led was around community. That's really powerful. Bringing that community together is really powerful, but for a lot of people they are not necessarily willing to pay just to compare themselves with their friends if you can help them get better at something, that's what they're really happy to pay for, and so that's what we really try to tap into while bringing those community tools, which are really powerful, which is Strava have proven to all of us. Um, can we bring that along with it? So, Mark, are you um, are you excited about the
0: industry ahead? I mean, you hear someone like Ed, who's Ed and peers have uh, have come up with an idea, they've they've put their recipe together, and three or four years later, it's it's a real thing and it's bubbling away. Are you excited? You, you're an old timer in the industry. Is this a good time to be in sport?
3: I think it's as an exciting time as we've ever had in sport. I, agree. I think I agree. The, the the opportunities are abundant, and because there's a genuine realization that all that we've been talking about is here, it's real, it's happening. And you know, if, if the likes of Augusta are beginning to engage with you know data partners. If The All England Club are engaging with data partners. You know, looking at the TMO and HawkEye, it's not just part and parcel. The you know the heartbeat of the ATP Championships when it's a close line call, that's just part of what we expect from the experience. And this is just the next layer, and the next layer, and the next layer. And it's an incredibly exciting time. Mrs. Moreau came to the races with a couple of mates and she was betting on a mobile app and she won four out of six races and she thinks it's easy now. And that's what she'll do every time she goes to the races. She's a convert convert, and she's a convert even. And so they're now marketing to her and she's like, I'm going to put a bet on with whoever it may be. There you go. And this is, it's easy. It's happening, right? It's happening. And so, you know, I don't, again, I would, I've never want the, 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 you know, I'm trying to be an equivalent to be at Lord's in the summer for a full day of cricket in the Harris Garden for a, you know, no one's going to, that's never going to go, right? It's not going to stop me on the way home watching the highlights on Sizzle Reel on the train. So it's a combination of the two. It's not going to stop me making a bet on my mobile that walk into the ground. It's not going to stop me booking my Uber to get home quicker ahead of everyone else. It just needs to all be incorporated. And and to to Clips' point, Data is what we're all, you know, craving on everything. You know, can I be quicker, faster, jump further, throw the ball, the ball, whatever it may be. And I've still played Saturday football and a couple of lads are wearing the devices in the back of their shirts and then downloading after the game. It's Saturday football, you know. This is a bunch of 40-year-old blokes running around a field. And they're looking at themselves going, yeah, yeah, this is what I compare myself week on, week out. So I think there's huge opportunity, and and it's just about having the comfort and confidence to make the step over the line, these rights holders, and and take those best-in-class practices from those huge organisations that we highlighted earlier, the Ubers and the Airbnbs. They've come from nowhere, right? They were an idea, and the idea has been around for many, many years, and they just put it and spun it and put it into a product that was elegant and easily consumable by the end user, and that's where sport needs to get to. Make it elegant, make it easy. Don't detract from the live event. It will always be there. We'll always want to go there and love it. But enhance it and improve it with these additional services and it will only increase the honour the to them.
0: Gentlemen, I'm uh, conscious of time, but it would be remiss of me not to give uh, my, my, my colleague and friend, Mr Mitchell, um, uh, the last word.
1: Well, I agree with a lot of what Mark said there. Uh, I think this is, you know, as the proverb goes, maybe we all live in interesting times. We've got an industry that is its model has been turned upside down. This isn't, you know, a little bit of a change. Uh, this is a huge different state of mind, and I, I just love these moments. I think in these moments, the people that have got the right attitude uh, are going to do super well and going to have a really interesting time. I'll tell a little story about um, coming back to Sri, and, and 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 you know, Sri have been helping us a little bit in this. Um, one, of, one of the companies I work in zone seven we have got really really cutting edge deep learning data data science it, it's hard it's really hard uh, top top level maths and you know we're recruiting both on the data science side but more importantly on the sales side you know uh, going into um, clubs and and telling them what we can do for them. And, you know, we've been recruiting two uh, salespeople. I can tell you a little bit about that process because it is just so interesting. You know, they have to have the, the knowledge and the ability and the, the curiosity and the sales techniques to explain bleeding edge tech to a relatively old uh, industry. So they need to do that credibly because some clubs now have got PhDs in their HR department. You know, Liverpool is full of PhDs. Uh, under Ian Graham so you've got to be able to be credible with them and then in the afternoon after lunch in the canteen you've got to go down to that dressing room in that boot room and talk to the medical person talk to the the performance person maybe talk to the old coach and the assistant coach that are more of the Alec Ferguson type you know manager is God and everything type uh, person and you need to get them on side as well so we've gone through a process of trying to find these people that match those super hard skills and those um excellent EQ soft skills. And and, and Mark will back me up here. This is bloody hard. You know, the, the 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 it is not easy, but I'm telling you, if you can match those skills, the world is your oyster in the sports industry for the next two decades, if you can get those two things together.
0: Well, it's um it, it's 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 i agree i i think it is the most exciting time i've ever known i've been in the sports industry for 30 years and whilst i may not be um getting any caps for wales anytime soon it does feel like it could be uh the the, the next chapter of of all of our lives is starting um i'm very aware of time people have uh people tend to do an hour on a podcast and then the dog walks over so i i would like to to finish by making sure that um we and I, you know, Entertained, We thank um, obviously Ed and Mark for their time. Rog, lovely to have you as a guest on your own podcast. That's rather nice. It's like being served wine in your own house. I suspect rather nice. Um, Ed, how do how do people find out about what Clips up to? Do you have a like a thing like a Twitter handle or anything as advanced or LinkedIn? Do,
2: how do how can what, people follow you? Uh, just watch this space for now. Um, you can you can f- find us on Instagram at ClipGolf and at Clip Clip.com, CLIPPD. There's a bit of a whole thing on there about why we call that name as well, which is pretty interesting. But um, watch this space in the new year. Hopefully, um, you'll be hearing lots from us Well, we look forward to that. And Mark,
0: how how do we all get a job? I mean, wh- how do we find you? I mean, how are you going to get us there? What, what what's this? What's the scoop?
3: And um, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm there, very visible. And otherwise, Sriexecutive.com and all my team around the world. Um, with their specialisms and geography that are highlighted. So please, please do reach out. We love to talk to people uh, each and every day.
0: Wonderful. And Mark, also thank you to SRI for, for supporting the show. And finally, as always with the last word, Roger, how on earth do we find you? Uh,
1: you can find me uh, uh, on Twitter at rpmcomo, as in the lake. As in the lake. Gentlemen, thank you very much for what has been a
0: fascinating conversation. I've learned tons more And I'm off to go and uh, fill in my CV straight away. (laughs) Thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Ed. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs)